And our theme verse is Romans chapter 2 and verse 4. simply says this, God is kind. Why don't you say that with me? God is kind, but He is not soft. So in other words, He's, he's kind, He's loving, He's gentle, but at the same time, He has a purpose. He's, he's not soft. He, he, in kindness, He takes us firmly by the hand and He leads us into a radical life change. You know that about God? He really wants you and me to be changed. He really wants us to step into brand new territory in our life. The Christian life is not like this. Well, I came to church. I signed my connection card. Going to heaven. I prayed a prayer. I was baptized. Praise God. It's all done. I'll see you in glory, everybody. You know? That's not what God's purpose and idea is for us. He wants us to be on an ever-growing, continuing journey, becoming more and more like Him. So He's got a purpose for your life. He wants to lead you into a radical life change. Maybe you have an obstacle you're looking at right now. You're thinking, okay, God, I would change, but I kind of have an obstacle that I need to get over. I have something big that, I, that I'm going through right now. And what we're about to study from Joshua chapter 3 is that God oftentimes leads us to places of obstacles. See, sometimes we think if we're following God, we're never going to face a difficulty. Has anybody ever thought like that before? You know, it's like, God, I thought I was following you. Why did I come to this place? The children of Israel in Joshua chapter 3, they find themselves on the bank of a river called Jordan. And there were two to three million people that were supposed, that had to get over it. It was, it's, it was an impossible, impossible thing to do. They were facing a huge, huge obstacle. I want to tell somebody this morning, just because you're facing an obstacle does not mean you're not following God. So maybe you walked into this place and you're thinking, God, I don't understand what I'm going through. And I want you to know that you could follow God and He could bring you right to the fa in face to face with an obstacle. But I also came to tell you that God never meant for that obstacle to overtake you. God's always purpose that the obstacles in our life would actually bring glory to Him. So whatever that thing is that you're facing right now, whatever that thing that just kind of clouds your mind that's there constantly, I want to tell you that God wants to use that for a testimony of His glory. Next week we're going to be looking at chapter 4, and that's what it's all about. This idea that what God does in our life is not even about our life. But it's about we're going to have kids, and they're going to have kids, and there's going to be generation after generation that are going to be able to tell the testimony of what God has done in our lives. I love it. You know, God specializes in getting us through obstacles. You know, most great people face obstacles. Fred Astaire, I don't know if you've ever heard of Fred Astaire before. He was a movie star and, and, and he, was, he did so many incredible things. I, I, I saw this this week that Fred Astaire, when he had his first screen test in 1923, here's what the director wrote about him. Fred Astaire, he can't act, he's slightly bald, but he can dance a little bit. <laughs> I love that. Vince Lombardi, here we go. Vince Lombardi. Here's what someone said about him. He says, he possesses minimal football knowledge. <laughs> and he lacks motivation. <laughs> he's like the he's like defines motivation, doesn't he? Beethoven. Here's what his teacher said about him. This gives me hope, because no telling what my piano teacher said about me. It says he won't practice on improving his technique. He is hopeless and incompetent as a composer. It's my favorite. Walt Disney. You may have heard of him before. He was fired from a newspaper for lacking ideas. He found a minister 
who paid him a small amount of money to draw advertising pictures for his church. Disney had no place to stay, so the church brought him in and let him sleep in a garage that was infested with mice. One of those such mice, Disney nicknamed Mickey. And that mouse became the most famous mouse in the world. <laughs> and the richest mouse in the world. Can I get a witness about that? <laughs> Could it be that the very thing that is your greatest obstacle, God wants to use it and turn into your greatest victory? It's really true what they say. There's no testimony without a test. So don't despise your test. There's no miracle unless you face a mess in your life. So maybe you're in the middle of a mess. If I can encourage you, do not give up. Do not stop. Do not quit because God's not finished with you yet. The Bible says He works all things for good. So if it's not good yet, He's not done yet. If you'll just keep on trusting Him, He'll do exactly what He says He'll do in your life. And that's what we see through the book of Joshua. So what I want to walk through is chapter 3. If you want to go in your notes there, I want to just read the scripture and hopefully bring out some principles that we find there about how to overcome obstacles in our life. Here's what it says in verse 1. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, and he and all the people of Israel, and he lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people. Here's what they commanded the people. This was the command of God. As soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priests, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it in order that you may know the way you should go, for you have not passed this way before. I find it interesting, before the people of God actually cross over into a new season of their life, God is so clear to let them know that, hey, you've never been here before. Could it be that the things that God wants to do in our lives, we really can never fathom in our own imagination how good He wants to be in our lives? That there's this incredible, incredible thing and we've never, ever, ever been there before? That's the kind of God that we serve. I want to ask you a question. How many, how many of you would say you're, you are uh, directionally challenged? How many directionally challenged people do we have in the house Okay, let me see. Hold them high. Hold, this is your hold them high. Okay, how many people that you're calling in life is to help those of us that are directionally challenged? Like, you're called the backseat drivers, right? We need to pray for you guys. You know, give us, give us some pain. You know, have some patience for us. You know, and God says that if you're going to ever cross over into all that I have for you, you have to be humble enough to admit that you've never been there. You have to be humble enough to admit that, okay, God, I need your guidance and your direction. Here's the first principle I find from this passage is simply this, that God goes first. God goes first. Are you facing an obstacle in your life? God goes first. You don't know what to do in a career situation you're facing right now. I want you to know God goes first. God doesn't expect us to go and jump into the impossibility. God says, let me go ahead of you. See, I specialize in, I think, jumping out before God. It's like the redneck's last words. You guys know what that is, right? Um, you know, hey, y'all, watch this. You know, <laughs> that's the redneck's last words. You know, we specialize in just kind of jumping off the cliff, and we, we'll, we'll kind of do what we do, and then we say, okay, God, will you bless the mess? I want you to know God's not interested in blessing your mess. He's interested in you putting him first and allowing him to direct your life. 
He's, he's interested in going before you and, and going first. He wants to, he wants to know, are you, are you taking the time in your life to seek Him? Maybe you're facing a big decision in your life and you don't really know what to do. Or I'll say this, if you're not right now, it probably won't be very much longer until you're going to be facing a decision where you don't know what to do. And I love asking three questions whenever I face a situation where someone comes to me and says, hey, Brandon, would, you know, what do you think about this? I always ask three questions. The first one is, um, have you prayed about it? That's a good question. Are you facing a situation in your life? You say it sounds super simple, and it is. But how many times we've spent a lot of time worrying about something, but we haven't spent time praying about it. I've found it takes about the same amount of energy for me to worry about something, something as it does to pray. That I can be in my own head and just sit and worry and go through all of the hypotheticals of what's going to happen instead of saying, okay, God, I put this in your hand. Would you speak to me? Have you prayed about it? When you pray about it, you're putting God first. When you pray about it, you're saying, God, I'm not just trying to jump off into this situation in my life because it all looks all right. The Bible even says that there's a way that seems right to, to, to man, but the end is a way of death. In other words, God sees from a completely different perspective than what we see from. And have you prayed about it? If you come to me and talk to me, ask me a question, I'd say, man, have you prayed about it? How do you feel when you pray about it? Here's a second question. What does the Word say about it? What does the Scripture say about it? Is there anything in the Bible? Is there a principle you can take? Is there, is there a Scripture? Is there a Word? seems like every major decision that I've ever made, I can pinpoint a Word from the Bible that God has spoke to me about that season. And the third question is simply this. What does wise counsel say about it? In other words, have you went to people and asked them that love you and that know the situation, couldn't care more, couldn't care less, people that just love you and love the Lord, have you went to them and talked to them about it? When you do that, you begin to put God first in any situation that you're in. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, it's there in your notes. It says, seek the kingdom of God above all else. Live righteously, and he will give you everything that you need. See, you think, I need to jump and get this job opportunity because, man, if I don't get this, then I'm not going to be able to have the money that I need. We're not going to be able to get the new car, and the kids aren't going to be able to have clothes. We're not going to be able to go to school. All these things in your mind. And God says, no, no, no. If you will put me first in everything that you do, God says, I'll make sure you, the kids have clothes. I'll make sure the car has gas. I'll make sure you have electricity in your house. I'll make sure that everything is taken care of if you will put me first. See, any area of life that you put God first in, you invite God into that area. You want God to be first in your marriage? When you begin to put God first in your marriage, that you sit around the dinner table, or maybe instead of watching a movie on a Tuesday night, maybe you, you, you watch some type of a curriculum about what it means to have a godly marriage. You say, that's kind of boring. You say, well, why, why, why should we read a book together? Why should we focus on this together? I promise you, if you'll begin to put God first, whatever that looks like for you, if you'll begin to put God first, you're going to invite God into that area. That's why it's the same with our giving. That's why the tithe is 10%, but it's not just 10%. It's the first 10%. Why? Because when we give to God, it's not about God needs our money. God doesn't need our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That he's, he's infinitely rich. But, when, but we need Him Absolutely. God doesn't need our money, but we need Him with us. And when we give the first, when we put God first in the area of our money, God says, you, you're inviting me into this. You're inviting me into your life. You're inviting me in. 
Here's the second aspect of this. I love this so much. It's as if God is saying, watch, there's not one thing you're going to walk into alone. See, in my mind, I always thought God goes first, which means, okay, you just kind of sit where you are, and, you know, God is just kind of being, doing his God thing, and we're just kind of sitting here. And, but, but it's not, I don't believe it's that at all. I believe God going first is, is simply this, that in this passage that we read, they took the Ark of the Covenant, which here's what the Ark was. It was, a, it was simply a wooden box that was overlaid in gold that represented God's presence. It's how... Um, God represented himself to the people of that day. And it's as if God says, see this impossibility that you're facing? I'm going to take my presence and my goodness and my grace, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to be standing on the very thing that is the impossibility in your life. I love that about God. I love that about Jesus. I, I don't know if you've thought about this, but the, the, all the stories we have from Jesus in the Bible really accept of his birth, and then one time whenever he was 12 years old, we, we only have about three years of his life, three, three and a half years of his life. But for 30 solid years, Jesus was just living life. You know, a lot of times we think he had like long, flowing, you know, golden hair, you know, and this glowing white skin, you know, and no calluses on his hands, you know, he just kind of stood, you know, with a big robe on, you know. No, the Bible says he was a carpenter, you know. He had, a, how, many, I've, how many has ever, you know, done a project at home? You got splinters and you hit your thumb, you know, and there's nails all over the place. And, you know, that's where Jesus spent his life. He, he, he was a blue-collar, um, middle-class, lower-middle-class person. He, he, he dealt with uh, purchase orders and angry customers and family members and uh, sicknesses. His, his dad, uh, or his earthly father, Joseph, uh, many scholars believe that he was not around whenever Jesus was older, that he could have passed away. And he dealt with the, the loss of family members and friends. And we don't really have much uh, of if any of those stories. And, and I believe it's simply this. I believe Jesus just spent most of his life living so that he could know every single thing that we would face. See, he was just as much God in the manger as he was on the cross. And he could have died for the sins of humanity from the moment he was incarnated. But what did he do? He spent 30 years just living so that he could qualify to be yours and my best friend. How many of you have ever... Um, met someone before and you had a commonality with them. Maybe they were from like your hometown or went to your same university or worked at the same place you worked or, or, or whatever. I had this recently, someone here at the church, they had moved here from Orlando, not far from where I lived. And man, we just say certain restaurants or words or streets and it's like there's just a commonality to it. Why? Because we've both been there. And I want you to know that the obstacle that you're facing, God doesn't want to just say, well, I'm so far in the distance from you. God says, no, 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 come to me and stand with me because I'm here. I know what it's like to face what you're facing, and I have went first. The scripture says in the book of Hebrews that this high priest of ours understands our weaknesses. You, dealing with the weakness, dealing with the problem, dealing with the pain right now, I want you to know that Jesus Christ understands for he faced all the same testings we do, yet without sin. I love that, that he went before us. Here's the second thing that I find from this first part of the scripture, is that we need to give God space to move. We need to give God space to move. 
The scripture says that there needs to be a distance between you and the ark about 2,000 cubits, or, or really it's about three football fields. There needs to be a distance between you and it. And as I was looking at this, I thought, God, this isn't, why in the world? Don't, aren't we supposed to be close to you? What does this even mean? Why did you want the children of Israel to maintain such a distance from you? And I'll say this, because I believe many times we want God to move like we want him to move, right? Like we want him to do what we want him to do. But God says, hey, you have to give me space if you want to move in my life, if you, if you want me to move in your life. That you have to give me a little bit of space. You have to give me a little bit of room. You have to trust me. So a lot of times we're kind of right up on God and say, okay, God, well, if you do this and I'll do this and what are you going to do today and all this? And God says, no, no, no. I just want you to back up sometimes and just trust that I'm going to do exactly what I said I'm going to do in your life. And it may not be the way you wanted it to be, but, but that's okay. It's going to be better if you'll trust me. Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Think about that. That God's thoughts are not like our thoughts. He says, neither are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. God says, hey, if you want to know how differently you think about something than what I think about something, then you need to look at the distance between where you're standing on planet earth and the farthest heaven that you could ever discover. God says, that just gives you a little bit of glimpse of how much greater my thoughts are than your thoughts and how we can trust him. I did a little research this week of what is the furthest heaven that we could find? What's the furthest up? Like if we could just go up, how far would that up be? Um, I, I did a little research, and here's what I found, that light travels at 186,000 miles per second. So in the time it takes me to snap my fingers, the light circumnavigates the globe about six times. So that's how fast light is. And so... So light's so fast, but our sun is 93 million miles away. Okay, so light's traveling so fast that even though the sun's 93 million miles away, it only takes eight minutes from the sun's rays to reach the earth. That's how fast it is, 93 million miles in just simply eight minutes. And that's our closest star. And that's just one star in the midst of thousands and thousands and thousands of stars. If, as a matter of fact, if we were to drive to the sun, it would take us, it would take us driving at 65 miles an hour all the time. It would take us 163 years to get there. I mean, like, it would take a long, long time. So here's the deal. The furthest star that has been found, the furthest star that has been found is 13.7 billion light years away. <laughs> so that's pretty far, everybody. So if you were to take 13.7 billion light years away and take the amount of time it takes light to travel, simply put, this is what I discovered. This is the highest heaven. This, how many miles is it to the highest heavens? It is 86 trillion miles. Somebody just learned something new today here at church. <laughs> that, is 80, that is 80 with 21 zeros behind it. And if you could just drive up that many miles, you would reach the end of what astronomers have been able to find of our galaxy and God says that's just a little picture of how much greater my thoughts are than your thoughts man maybe you're facing an impossibility right now or maybe maybe you feel like God's let you down I've been there there's still certain areas in my life where I feel like I am there
I don't understand. I've come to know, know this, that I don't want a God that will fit in this brain. Because this brain's not very big. But I want to give God a little bit of space, a little bit of room, and say, okay, God, however you want to move, it's cool with me. Because your thoughts are just a lot greater than what my thoughts are. And you can do however you want to. I hear some people say, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask God this, and I'm going to ask God that, and I'm going to ask God this. And I think, you know what? I don't think I'm going to ask God anything. Because I think the first sound of heaven will be this. Oh. That's what all that was about. And I believe in a moment, whenever we look at Jesus' face, and in a moment, whenever we see how things really are, we'll understand that, you know what? I don't have any questions anymore. I don't, I don't have any questions of why you take certain things out of my life or why you don't, don't take certain things out of my life or why. God, your ways are so much greater than my ways, and I'm going to give you space to move. One of the greatest statements that you could take away from today is simply to learn to say this, and I say it a lot to myself, is simply this, God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. Next time you're facing an impossibility, say that to yourself. God is God and I am not. God is God and I am not. God, your ways are so much bigger. You're 80 sextillion miles, Lord, from, from my thinking, and I trust that you're going to do the best thing. So here's, the, here's what happens next. Verse 5. Read it with me together. It says, Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. Isn't that awesome? And Joshua said to the priests, Take the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all of Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses so shall I be with you. Here's the, second, here's the third thing that takes place if we're going to cross over our obstacles, that we need to consecrate ourselves. Consecrate ourselves. If you want to take some extra notes today, let's simply put, I put this in my notes, consecration precedes crossing. Consecration precedes crossing. You say, what does consecration even mean? That's a real fancy you know, $2 word. Consecration literally means to set yourself apart. Or, to clean up. God was literally telling the people that they needed to clean themselves before they were to cross over into the next thing. I just imagine in my mind's eye that they've been wandering in this wilderness for 40 years, that they had the dust of the wilderness all over them. They're dirty, their clothes may be mangled, they're just, that they look like they've been just disheveled by the journey. And God is wanting to do something brand new in their life. And here's what he knows, that he cannot do something new until he first deals with the old. And he says, okay, guys, you need to go deal with the baggage from your past if you're going to begin to step into the future that I have for your life. See, so many of us, we treat church kind of like taking an airline trip before. How many's ever been on an airline before? Maybe you, you've flown recently. Well, see, whenever you fly, you usually check your bag, don't you? You know, you go to the gate and you, know, you, you check your bag and you, you don't even think about it anymore. It just kind of rides along with you the whole flight. And then whenever you get out, you go to baggage claim, you pick it up, and then you go on with your life. 
And I think a lot of us go to church like that. I know I do a lot of times. I, I come to church, I'm, I'm carrying baggage from my past, baggage from a bad week. I'm carrying baggage of bitterness and anger and resentment and hurt and all these things. And I come to church and I check it at the counter. When I walk through the doors, I lift my hands and say, God, you're so worthy. And we sing and we dance. We study the Bible. We do all these things and it's awesome. And then whenever I go home, right as I step out of the door, I go to baggage claim. I pick up the same old bag. I go to the same old situation and I'm not changed at all. God says, I want you to deal with your bags if you're going to cross over into what I have for your future. See, a lot of times we say, okay, God, I want you to do great things in my life. And God says, I can't fill you until you'll empty yourself. I can't just keep putting new things into something that's nasty, into something that's old. Maybe you have some wrong relationships in your life and you come to church and you do all these churchy things and maybe you're believing God for an overcoming breakthrough, but then you go back to a friendship that's so wrong. Or you're living a life of sin. I mean, you're living a life of sin. You have sin in your life, sin in your relationships, sin in the way that you're doing your work and business and just you're living a life of sin. I want to tell you, God can't bless that. God cannot bless our mess. God cannot bless our sin, but he can bless someone that's honest and says, God, I give it to you. I trust you with it. God says, consecrate yourself. God doesn't say, you're so dirty, you can't ever possess your promise. No, God says, hey, if you'll just clean up, then it's going to be okay. And, and here's what I love about this too. It doesn't tell the people, to, like the preachers, to purify the people. It tells them to consecrate themselves. Don't you love that? So I was praying about this passage this week. I was saying, Lord... Would you help City Hills Church to be a place where people have some personal convictions? God, would you let this be a place where it's not all about what the preacher says. Here are the five things you must never do. Here are the five movies you must never watch. Here are the five clothes you must never wear. Here are these things. And if you check off these boxes, then you shall be the spiritual mature person in the Lord and you shall go to heaven. No. God says... Will you be the kind of person that gets some convictions in your own heart and goes to your knees in prayer and says, God, is there anything in my life? Is there anything that I'm watching? Is there anything I'm wearing? Is there anything that I'm doing? Is there any aspect of my life that I need you to clean up in me? Here's the awesome thing. It's not even now. We're in the new covenant. It's not even about cleaning up ourselves. It's about receiving the clean from Jesus Christ. It's receiving what he's done in our lives. So are there any personal convictions in your life? I've been married for 10 years now, going on 11. And I want to tell you, there are some things that my wife and I, we can look at each other, and everybody else in the room thinks everything's okay, but there's just one simple glance. They know exactly what I think, and I know exactly what she thinks. As a matter of fact, I can probably order for her at most restaurants. Get close. I've learned, too, that I don't know any, I, I, I've, I've not learned the mind of a woman either, so I don't know exactly what to do. That's why I've, I've learned that I don't know. But at the same time, you know what, because we've been in a relationship and because we've been on a lot of dates together, I know what she likes. We went to dinner last night. We don't have, our kids are with family in Nashville. Praise the Lord. God bless our family. And so we went on a date last night, and it was awesome. And, and I could order for her. I knew what she wanted. What is that? That's like a conviction. Every other woman on the face of the earth, I don't, I don't know what they like, but, man, I know what my wife Kara likes because we've, been on a, we've had a lot of time together. And the more you know Jesus, the more you should know what he likes and doesn't like in your life. And he doesn't, shouldn't have to come down on you 
should just be something, okay, God, I need to turn that off. I need to walk out of this place. You know what? I need to stop this conversation right now. God, give me a personal conviction about what it means. I don't want to be like the world. I don't want City Hills Church to be just living however we want to live and then we just come in here and get a little Jesus on and then go back to our old baggage. I want God to clean us. I want to live a life of righteousness and holiness before Him. Here's the, here's the last thing. It's the last part of this passage. It says, And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Girgashites, Termites, Amorites, Jebusites. Added one in there. Verse 11, Behold, the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take 12 men from the tribes of Israel, from each man a tribe. I love that. They're doing it together. And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand up in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the ark of the covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priest bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Now the Jordan overflows its banks throughout the time of harvest. So the Jordan was more impossible than normal. It says the waters coming down from above stood and rose in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the Sea of Araba, the Salt Sea, were completely cut off. The people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. Here's the fourth thing that I see in this chapter is simply this. Don't be afraid to get your feet wet. God told them to stand in the impossibility. Maybe you're here today and you've, you're putting God first and you're giving God some room. Maybe you're even purifying yourself. I want to say this too. At the end, I'm just about done speaking and whenever I'm done, we're going to sing one more song and the reason we do that is because I want to give you a chance to respond and right down here, down front, there are going to be some serve team members, people that you can trust that, that would love to pray with you. If you have some issues in your life where you say, okay, I need God to clean me. I need a new fresh start. I need to overcome. Please don't leave without having somebody pray with you. It's not weakness to, to come and say, I need prayer. Let us join together. I love that they went and they stood together at the ark with the presence of God. And you know what? Sometimes along the way, you have to step out in faith. You've got to trust God. You have to say, God, would you give me strength in the middle of this? Don't let fear paralyze you, but let faith mobilize you into what he has for you. And just stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Isaiah 43, 2 says, when you go through deep waters, I will be with you. I just want to read this over somebody today. When you go through rivers of difficulty, 
you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up, for the flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God. Let me pray for you in this place. Father, thank you for what you've done today. Thank you for your word. God, that's where the power is. It's not in what I say, God, but we've read your word today. And would you change us? Would you change us? Holy Spirit, would you speak to us in this time? Lord, we thank you for what you're doing, for what you've done in our lives. We give you space to move. In Jesus' name. And if you're here today, and you need to step out in faith and just give your life to Jesus Christ. I don't want to let this Sunday go by without giving you a chance to just pray a prayer of surrender to Him. You say, I don't have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. Just a step of faith to the God that's already overcame your sin. If that's you today, would you pray with me? I'm not going to ask you to stand or I'm not going to embarrass you this, mor this morning. Just between you and God, if that's you, just pray with me this morning. Simply pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. I give my life to you today. Forgive me of my sin. Fill me with your spirit. I want to follow you all the days of my life. Be my Lord, my Savior. I'll follow you forever. In Jesus' name.